Greetings and welcome back to our weekly Tanakh Shiur. This is the book of the year. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and uh, we normally gather in our beautiful shul in Young Israel Century City Shabbat afternoon to study Tanakh together, but uh, due to safety restrictions, we continue to study online via this podcast, uh, and we are now at the um, sort of the preface to the Brit Ben Abatarim. Our focus today is going to be, as you can see from the handout, on Pasuk Zion and then Pasuk Tet. And the reason we're hopping, sort of hopscotching around or leapfrogging around is because in last week's session we looked at uh, Pasuk um, Vav and then on Pasuk Chet because Pasuk Vav and Chet seem to kind of speak against each other and we had to deal with that contradiction. And so we're going back to Zion as promised, but then we're going to move forward to Chet. And so the Shira will really be broken into two parts. The first part will be Pasuk Zion. Now, Pasuk Zion is a, uh, a commandeering statement. It's a powerful opening statement uh, when, uh, after Hashem has promised Avram by showing him the stars, that's how many kids you're going to have, and Avram trusts him. And last week's session, we talked about Avram's and Munah, where was the tzedakah, was the tzedakah on the part of Hashem, the tzedakah on the part of Avraham, the machokat rishonim, we saw about that. And then Hashem makes this new declarative statement. Right? He says, I am Hashem, who took you out of from Ur Kastim. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment. In order to give you this land to inherit. Now, two points I want to make about this Pasuk, and then a third point. The first point about it is that we are all familiar and way at the beginning of the year and we're still meeting together in person. We talked about the very famous Midrashim uh, of Avraham and the furnace, uh, which seemed to be anchored in the story of Mishael Hanani Wazariah, um, the three lads in the book of Daniel who were thrown into the furnace. Uh, however, this pasuk seems also to be a starting point for that Midrash. Because look at the phrasing. First of all, Asher Hotzeiticha Meur Kastim. What is an Ur? So Ur in Sumerian means city. And so it could be the city of Kastim. But Ur in biblical Hebrew actually means a furnace. As we see in Yeshayahu, Asher Ur lo betzion, betanur lo biyushalayim. An Ur is a furnace. And so if we interpret it that way, not as the city of Kastim, but from the furnace of Kastim, then suddenly we get this image of a furnace and I, say, I pulled you out. Second of all, without question, this language evokes for us, because we have the whole Torah in front of us, the famous opening statement of the Decalogue, I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim uh, to the house of bon- from, from the house of bondage, and take a look at it in source two, but we all know it by heart. And so there's, there's clearly some sort of either foreshadowing here, or there is a typological statement now that's being made here that's going to be made, made later to B'nai Yisrael. But uh, we, we, we catch the drift immediately. And what's curious is, that we don't have enough room for the psukim, but several times in Tanakh, both in Dvarim and Malachim and in Sefer Yirmiyahu, Egypt is referred to, Egypt, the Egypt that we were taken out of, is referred to as a crucible, Kur HaBarzel which does several things. First of all, it strengthens. Second of all, it gets rid of the dross. And so much of the Midrashic development of the idea that not all of B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim 
is because the dross was burned away. Uh, that, of course, is set offset by the Erev Rav uh, joining us, but nonetheless, that particular direction. But more critically, it was the proving crucible, meaning the fiery furnace of Mitzrayim, which strengthened us because of the travails and, uh, and gave us the strength when we left to uh, make it through the Midbar and then to, to, make the, to successfully fight the wars under Yoshua. Uh, and so we get that notion because Mitzrayim, Asher Hotzeticha, suddenly is not just, I pulled you out of a country, but I pulled you out of the fire. And so here, Hotzeticha Miorkastim has a double meaning of fire. First of all, the Asher Hotzeticha and the association with Mitzrayim, the Kor HaBarzel. And second of all, the Asher Hotzeticha, Miorkastim, and Ur being a furnace. Okay, that's piece one of this, is that this statement certainly foreshadows for us the Brit of Har Sinai, and it already gives us an anticipation that we're about to see the proto-Brit, if you will, the Brit in advance of the great Brit at Har Sinai, and with a similar opening language. There's yet something else that goes on here, and I marked it in source two, but I want to draw your attention to the other source page. There's another source page that I titled HA 39B, because this is page 38 and 39, I tacked it on. And if you take a look at 39B, uh, you will see that we have the Aseratadi Brot here. However, they're broken up into a most curious setup, and they're broken up with some color coding. And I'll explain where this comes from. I, a very small print there I put, this is based on the shirm of, um, of my Rebbe, Rav Yol Binun. Uh, Rav Yol Binun uh, suggests that uh, even though we have the Aseret HaDivarim, as it's called in the Torah, the Ten Utterances, and the rabbinic phrase for that is Aseret HaDibrot, nonetheless, the typical way that they're presented in synagogue art is very misleading, because each one of the Dibrot is usually given the first letter or first word of it, and it's misleading because, of course, some of them are quite long and some of them are quite short, as short as two words, and some of them are quite long, as long as about four or five psukim. And the way that we read them publicly turns each one of the dibrot into a whole pasuk. It's something we refer to as ta'am elyon. We repunctuate it so that these four sentences turn into one very long sentence, and the two words turn into a, their own pasuk. Uh, but that's not the way that is broken in tam tachton, in the regular punctuation of the Torah, the ta'am mehamikra, uh, the tam hatachton, which we used, which is the regular ta'am mehamikra. However, Abinun points out that if you look at the, the actual numbers of what's going on, there are 10 utterances, but there are 12 mitzvot lotase. And the 12 mitzvot lotase are equally balanced, six on each side. But he points something else out, which for our purposes is critical. Maybe sometime we'll give the shiur, you know, share, share his uh, observations in, in, uh, in detail. But and this is where the color coding is, comes in is that on the what we typically call the right side of the debrot, you have um, an introductory statement, you have explanations for the reasons for the mitzvot, the um, opening statement, which itself is not a mitzvah, maybe machlokat rishonim, is presented as the introduction and perhaps the reason for these mitzvot, and then we're given four mitzvot of Lotase, having to do with Avodah Zarah, and then there's a reason given for that. And then there is the mitzvah of avoiding, violating God's name, in one manner or another, however that may be interpreted, and a reason given for that. And then 
there is a lotase associated with Shabbat, and there is a reason given for that. And then um, the uh, the last of the Dibrot on that side does not include a lotase, but it does end with, as you can see at the bottom of the right column, uh, it does end with um, the following phrase. This is the reason given for Kibbut Avim, or the motivation for honoring parents. Okay. On the left side, what you see is six mitzvot lotase. None of them are given reasons. Uh, a lot of other details here, and if you want to take a look at the colors, there's a lot of them you can discern, but what's critical for our purposes is really the right side. And on the right side, which is the first, what we traditionally call five of the Dibrot, although they could be divided a little differently, that start with, which are, shall we say, the, the, the Dibrot, which are really part of the Brit, the Dibrot, which are part of the special, unique relationship that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We believe that the rest of the world is commanded to avoid murdering and sexual immorality and thieving, etc., and to set up proper courts. But the Shabbat, specifically, uh, and uh, and for the most part, in in certain shadings, the other pieces on the right side are things which are about us and God, and some of them are all of them are about us and God, and some of them are unique to Am Yisrael and are not for the rest of the world. But all of them require an explanation. There's no explanation required for Lo Tirzach, and giving an explanation would demean it. And but I want to focus on the right side. The right side starts with Anochi Adonai Lohacha Asherotzeiticha and ends with Al Haadama Asher Adonai Lohacha Notenlach, as if to say that the purpose of the Yitziat Mitzrayim was to bring you to the land. Now, see this as one long statement. I am Hashem. This is the Brit. I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim, from the house of bondage, Noah Vodazara, Shem Hashem. Shabbat, in order that you live a long life. And now read, in order that you live a long life, not as a statement on but on the whole thing. And the whole long life, we're on the land which I am giving you. And you now take a look back at our passage, and you can understand that Hashem is introducing Avram to this idea. I did not take you out of Urkastim in order to save your life only. I did not take you out of Urkastim in order to travel only. I took you out of Urkastim to bring you to this land. And not that only, but to give you this land to inherit it. That is the purpose. And this sets up now a model for Avram's descendants who will be taken out of the fiery furnace of Mitzrayim. And the purpose of that being brought out, that exodus, is in order to inherit the land. Okay, I'd like to go now to the to the second part, which is the longer part of the shiur. Um, and uh, Avram at this point asks the question: Pasuk Ched Vayomar Adonai Elohim Bama Eda Ki Irashana. And we dealt with this in the last shiur. Was Avram asking, um, "How do I know I'm going to get it? Through what vehicle am I going to get it? What's the time at which I'm going to get it?" Different opinions among the Rishonim. And Hashem then kicks in for in earnest and in rea- and in, in action uh, the Brit Benavatarim. Now God says to him to take an egla, which is a calf, Mishuleshet. I don't know what that means yet. We're gonna leave it alone for a second. It has something to do with the word shalosh, the number three. which is a goat. Va'ayil Mishulash is a ram, and Torg Vigozal are turtle doves. 
Okay. Now, the first thing that catches our attention here is that he's being told to take a bovine, an ovine, and an ovine, a goat, and a, and a sheep. And, of course, immediately what comes to mind is these are the only kind of mammals that are ever brought on the Mizbeach. Much as deer may be kosher, we don't bring it on the Mizbeach. We only bring domesticated animals and only of really these two types, the flock and the herd. And the flock we divide into goats and sheep. And so that's first of all. Second of all, we are familiar with the notion, we saw it in the last few weeks in the, in the parasha with the story of the Oledet and the Mitzorah and the Zav, that, uh, that there are occasions when you would be bringing birds. And the only birds you can bring are Torva goes out. And so there seems to be a blueprint for Korbanot. And that's why, as we saw, that in Rashi, quoting the Midrash, that Avram asked, meaning how do I know I'm going to inherit it? And God's answer was, that's the answer here. Okay? Um, but we still have to deal with this phrase, okay? what, what does that mean? And here we're going to have a little fun with the Rishonim together in our multi-generational discussion that we engage in every time that we study Torah. We'll start with this. Uh, in Shayahu Tedvav, there is a passage which hopefully will help us because let's take a beat for a second. How is it that the Rishonim, that the early commentators, the medievalists, how do they interpret words? So they have several tools at their disposal. I'm going to take a few minutes talk about the methodology of pshat transla- uh, translation. The first thing is if there's a received tradition as to what a word means. So we're received tradition, pre-Etzadar, etrog, beautiful. Second thing is, if you look at the root of the word, and the root tells you what the word means, and makes sense in context, that's fine. If, if the root itself is equivocal, like here, where Rishulesh, it may mean a three-year-old one, it may have something to do with being there three months, it may have to do with being three years old, there's a lot of threes that could play out, then I look at context. If context doesn't help me, I'm going to look for the same phrase somewhere else where it might be explained in a clearer way. So that's where we're going to go. And the, and the commentaries and the psukim that we're going to take a look at, we're going to look at them with commentaries ad hoc on the spot there in that location. And these are all psukim that the Rishonim quote in Breshit to try to solve our problem. Nishayot Tedvav when this is at the beginning, near the beginning of Yeshayahu, it starts in Parakut Gimel, in his Masot El Hagoyim, his, his uh, rebukes uh, to the other nations. Libi Moav Yizak. My heart cries out to Moav. Berichecha ad soar eglat shlishia. So the bolts, Beriach is the bolt of the city that, that keeps the gates locked, all the way to Tsoar is an eglat shlishia. What does that mean? So what does Rashi say here? I cry out for all of the power of Moab, all of the security of Moab. What's that? Meaning, Tsoar is there, and remember the town of Tsoar from the story of Lot? Tsoar is the strongest city. It's the strongest one. So, what does Rashi himself say here? In Yeshayahu, Eglat Shlishia means the third runt of the litter. 
because the third one of the litter, it's not really a runt, the third calf in the litter is evidently the strongest. And therefore, he's, the, the Shayahu is comparing this town of Tsoar relative to the rest of Moab to a third-born calf, the third one of the litter. Yirmiyahu uses um, a similar phrase in his, in his uh, diatribe against uh, Ammon, Actually, this is against Moab. again. There may have been something that they associated with Tzohar, because Yemiah uses it also. Okay, and our purpose here is just to see what does Rashi say? Meaning a very strong city. So again, Rashi says, means a very strong thing, like the thirdborn of the calves. On the other hand, we have a very famous passage in Kohelet. In Kohelet, uh, Perak Dalad, Tovim HaShtayim Inachad, two are better than one, Asher Yishlam Sachar Tov Bamalam, they work together, they get a great reward. Kim Yiplu HaEchad Yakim Er Chavero. Im Yipol HaEchad Yakim Er Chavero. If they fall, one can pick the other up. Ve'ilo HaEchad Shipol, if, this one, if there's only one guy on his own and he falls, there's nobody to pick him up. Two people lie together. They're, they're warm. One guy alone is cold. Let's say there's one person there who is attacked, but he's, he's not alone. Then the two people will stand up against. In other words, he has a friend to help defend him. The chuta mishulash. What's a chuta mishulash? A cord that is three ply. Can't be broken very quickly. And so the notion is that two people working together is way better than one, and three is fantastic. It's unbreakable. It's like Aesop's old fable about the sticks. Right? Put them together, it's very hard to break. Now here, mishulash doesn't mean the third rope. It means a rope that is three times over. All right, let's keep that in mind. So, so far we have two meanings to Meshulash or Shlishiyah. One is the third born, when that's appropriate, and another is a something that's been tripled over. All right? Now, in Yechezkel, the last nine chapters of Yechezkel are a description of the future Mikdash, whether it's Bayit Sheni or Bayit Shlishi, whether it's the, the version in Masachet Midot, uh, interesting discussions. And in discussing it, take a look at Perak Mambet here, so in describing it, the upper offices, there's three stories here, are smaller. Because the lower ones sort of support them. Because they are Meshulashot. What does Radak say on the spot? Meaning three cells, one on top of the other. In other words, Mishulash here means a three-story building, okay? And that's kind of like the rope. Now, earlier on in Yechezkel, in And Yechezkel, who probably more than anyone else in his prophecies, was, was asked by God to actually act out some of the prophecies. Um, and he's told here to take a cherev shlishita, or shlishita, more correctly, a, some sort of a sword, cherev chalalim, which is a sword of corpses, meaning a sword that kills people. He cherev chalal hagadol hachoderet lahem. This is prophecy against one of the nations. And now, what does the Radak say? The Chavel a cherev shlishita mila el. 
right? Shlishita should be pronounced the way I said it, Mila El, with the penultimate. Vaheno seven of Hukamo Shlishit. So Shlishita is like Shlishit. Klamarta Havel Sto Shapa Amim, meaning do it three times. Lachach Nikreta Cherub Shlishit. Salamar Shiuch Hatsarot Shonot Umishal Shot Alehem. In other words, affect them three times. Yerushalayim Shlishita Gdola. And he says, some people say Shlishita means big. The word shalish, which shows up in Tanakh several times, a uh, famous story in uh, Malachim Bet with Elisha, but of course in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, when Paro's chariots are riding, so shalish there means big and important, which means suddenly we have a whole different meaning to shalish, which is not about the number three, although it may be related to it, but it has to do with important officers. Bringing all this information back to our pasuk, Let's see how our pasuk is interpreted. Um, Hashem tells Avram to take, just to remind you, take um, uh, All right, let's start with the Targum. Targum uncle says, So bring three calves. Suddenly, Mishulasha takes on a whole different meaning that we have not seen anywhere else in Tanakh, which is not a third or three over or the third one, but rather three of them, meaning a cardinal number, not an ordinal number. Little clue in Aramaic, a Dalit often substitutes for a Zion in Hebrew, Zachar, rams or males, Tlata. Vishafnina Varyona, the two birds. Okay, good. So let's go a little bit further in the history of Parshanut. And we're going to meet uh, a few um, uh, people that perhaps we didn't know till now. Um, the first Talmudic dictionary, you'd say Talmudic dictionary, you probably, probably Jastrow comes to mind. It's a wonderful dictionary from the end of the 19th century. It's available, by the way, now as an app. It's great. The first Talmudic dictionary was written much, much earlier than that. It was written in the beginning of the 11th century by Rav Natan of Rome. You can see that he was in the, sorry, the beginning of the 11th century. Um, he died in 1106. Matter of fact, his years almost exactly match Rashi's. Uh, but he was in, in Rome. And in his Talmudic Dictionary, he, uh, he talks about an igla tilta. An igla tilta is mentioned several times in the Gemara as a really delightful and, and fancy meal. And he quotes the Gemara in Psachim that says, Rav Yosef Yoma de Meatzarta, Avdulei Igla Tilta. It's a famous discussion about, about um, Hashem, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yeshua. How do we celebrate Yom Tov? Is Yom Tov supposed to be half for God, half for physical pleasures, or is it either all one or all the other? In any case, Rav Yosef said, everybody agrees that on Shavuot you have to have Lachem. You have to have a feast. And Rav Yosef himself would have an igla tilta on Shavuot. That's very big. Perush, and he explains, shlishi labetan. Okay, now by the way, what does this have to do with us? We're talking about Aramaic, rabbinic Aramaic. What does it have to do with biblical language? Just watch. He said, perush shlishi labetan, meaning it was the third of the, of the, of the uh, stomach, the third of the, of the uh, third one born, like we saw in the Radak. Shuhumufcha in well, we saw the Radak in in um, how do you call it in uh, in earlier in the Nevi'im. 
The third one is the best of all that come from the womb of the cow. The first one's very weak. The second one's better. Third one's best of all. I'm not sure what they do with the fourth, but consistently in the Gemara, when they want to talk about a fancy meal, it's igla tilta. Okay? And that's what he says. Now, so far we haven't gotten anywhere except we're going to move about 150 years later into France to Reb David Kimchi, the Radak, who we've already seen. And the Radak, as you could see, uh, lives, uh, like I said, approximately uh, dies exactly 200 years after the, the uh, Oruch was born. And he also wrote a, uh, a Hebrew grammar and a Hebrew dictionary. And in it, at the entry of Shalosh, in his Sefer HaShorashim, uh, this is this is when the French first started discovering uh, what the Spanish had known for a little while, which was that Hebrew words are made up of three-letter roots, something that we've all grown up with. All right. He said, Bat shanim. Okay. O shlishit labeten. Right. So he said, it could be three years old or the third one born. V'chein eglat shlishiyat. And then he says, He says that Mishuleshet is three, and he quotes the Targum. So the Radak here now adopts um, the, uh, the position of the Aruch when it comes to the explanation of Iglatilta, and he says it is either a, um, the third, third one born, as the Radak himself said in his commentary on Nach earlier, or perhaps one that's three years old. And then he quotes the Targum, which was that there are three of them. So we now have, how nice that is, three different choices as to what Egla Mishuleshet would mean, and we assume that the same thing will apply to Ez Mishuleshet and Ayo Mishulash. And one of them is three of them, like the Targum said. One of them is the third one, of the litter, as the Radak said, and the, the third position is that it is three years old. Okay, let's see where we go with the commentaries in our spot. And we're going to take a look at a few of them. We're going to see some interesting things uh, as we go along. Rashi, always start with Rashi. Eglamishuleshet, he says, Shlosha Agalim, says three of them. So he interprets Mishuleshet following the Targum, there's three of them. Ramaz parim, and Rashi then goes further, and he says that why did he, was he told to take three agalim, three calves? And in a minute, I'm going to demonstrate why this commentary is a little bit difficult, given the rest of the passage. Not not impossible, of course, but difficult. He says it hints to three calves. Which three? Ramaz parim, three bulls. Par yoma kipurim, the par that the Kohen Gadol brings on Yom Kippur. Par Helem Davar, the par that the Beitin brings when they have errantly uh, instructed about halacha, and Egla Arufa, the calf that is killed uh, by hitting the back of its neck, striking the back of its neck, when there's a murder victim found out in the field, we don't know who it is, they're at the very end of Parshat Shoftim. All right, Ez Mishuleshet, so Rashi is going to do the same thing. Ramaz the Sairan Asabifnim, so the three goats, uh, of course in Rashi, Mishuleshet means three, there's three goats here. The one goat, which alludes to the goat on Kohen, uh, on um, on Yom Kippur, when there's the lottery, one of them goes inside. 
And the goats that are brought on every moed, Rosh Chodesh, and all of the moedim, there's a sa'ir l'chatat. And when an individual sins errantly, by mistake, etc., then he has to bring a chatat, that's also a goat. And then, ayol mishulash, what's that? Asham vadai, asham talui, v'chispa shachatat yachid. And he says, why uh, a ram? He says, the three rams, one ram refers to a regular asham, and asham is always a ram. One is an asham talui, which you bring when you're not sure if you violated a chatat. And the third one is the lamb, because a ram is a female lamb, a male lamb, a lamb that is brought, a female lamb which is brought when an individual sins, and then Targum goes out, he says this is simply the birds that are brought. So Rashi lines up, because Rashi has already telegraphed this earlier and said that when Avram said, Hashem's answer is and therefore this entire thing is foreshadowing the korbanot. That's possibility one. That may not be what's happening, and that's going to set the tone for the next few shurim as we actually get into the Brit Ben Amitarim. Okay. Rabbi Yosef Kara. Rabbi Yosef Kara, and as I mentioned, there's a difficulty with Rashi because if you take a look back on page one, you can see that in the next pasuk, uh, it says that Vaikachlo et Kolela, Avram takes these, these, Vaivatero Tamatavach, he cuts them in half, Vaitain Ish Petroli Kart Reu, and he faces each half against. It's corresponding half. But not the birds. The simplest read of this pasuk is that there's one calf that he cuts in half and puts the two halves of the calf opposite each other and there's a room in the middle where he's going to be. But not that there are three and face them. Now, it's not impossible, but the simpler read of it is that there's one of each animal. But Rashi has it three following the targum and the symbolism is very powerful, but again, associating with the korbanot. Now, Mahari Kara, Rabbi Yosef Kara, just to introduce him quickly, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Shimon um, was a uh, younger colleague of Rashi. He studied with Rashi. Uh, his Rebbe actually was his uncle, Rabbi Menachem Rabbi Chelbo. And Mahari, he was known as Mahari Kara, Rabbi Yosef Kara, because he was, believe it or not, the Tanakh teacher in Rashi's Beit Midrash. And he wrote a commentary on all of Tanakh. Much of his commentary was lost, but we've been able to sort of resuscitate it both from some manuscripts and also from how it was quoted in other commentators. So Eglah Meshulash, he says, Gimel Agalot. He follows Rashi. Now he does not go on with the symbolism of what each one corresponds to as Rashi, why three of them, but just that there are three. And now he explains the pasuk that I just mentioned, the next pasuk of cutting them in half. So here's how he explains it. He said he took, there's three calves, so we'll call them calf A, B, and C. So A faced B without cutting them, and C he cut in half. So that each one has one and a half, which is, again, strange, uh, because then it's that he didn't cut the birds in half, well, he also didn't cut two-thirds of the, of the mammals in half, right? So Marie Kara comes up with a brilliant explanation. Brilliant, but it's very hard to fit within the picture, at least the picture maybe with the way we've always understood it. He said that the very simple reality here is that you have an even number of animals, you can face one against the other and keep them alive. But when there's an odd number, you're going to have to take one of them and cut it in half. 
So the only reason he doesn't kill, uh, cut the birds in half is because there's two. So one, one, torn goes out. But with the three, Izim, for instance, you cut one, one, A's over here, A's over there, one A over A's has to be cut in half so that the sides are equal. Why is he concerned that the sides be equal? Unclear. But his explanation now works within the Psukim, but of course the difficulty is, well, then why mention Atsipor Lovatar when two-thirds of the mammals also weren't? Okay, that's Mahari Kara. Let's move now to Spain. Not really, but the Ibn Ezra, who uh, was born... Um, at the end of the 11th century, and uh, and it was a college, sort of the same, roughly the same time as Rabbeinu Tam. The Ibn Ezra, who was born in Spain, lived the first 50 years of his life in Spain, and then uh, traveled. And actually, most of almost everything that we have of his that he that he wrote, um, that we have, he wrote after he left Spain. Uh, and after he left Spain, he had to write in Hebrew, because uh, in Spain he wrote in Arabic, which was the common language, uh, and he, he lived in Muslim Spain. That was, that was his interaction. It led to a lot of, uh, well, we'll talk about in some future shir, more about the Ibn Ezra. But in any case, the Ibn Ezra here says, Mishul shalosh izim. So some people say it's three goats. But what I think it is, is bat shalosh shanim, three years old. So now we've seen that theory be revived. And then he says, Ayel hu akevas agadol. So you're, not, so you're clear, a ram is a big lamb. The Gozal is Ben Yonah. Gozal is what we call Ben Yonah, what Vayikra calls Ben Yonah. Kimelan is Kerem the Vadam, Bevehima, Vaof, Haolot, Vachin, Vachol Korban. So he said, these are the only five that could be an Ola, or by the way, any Korban, will have to come from these five animals, either the, the uh, bovine, or the goats, or the lambs, or the two kinds of birds. So, but he doesn't necessarily connect this with. Korbanot as being the siman to Avram of how of how he knows they're going to get the land, but rather God says bring a korban, so you got to bring a korban from the proper things. We we go back to France and to Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, and I present the commentators here simply in chronological order. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor was a student of Rabbi Tam, so he's 12th century, and he wrote the following. And this is really phenomenal because the Bechor Shor here is saying the sort of things that you typically you don't typically hear until the 19th century in Parshanut. Um, but uh, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor was an independent thinker, he was an innovative thinker, and he's somebody who, by the way, was not well known for hundreds of years, but thanks to uh, some Kitveya that have been published and some serious work that has been done on his commentary, he is now enjoying a revival. Thank God. He says, Khali Aglamishulashet. He said, Kidai Lichro Tabrit. He said, I'm because you're gonna make a you're gonna make a brit. Kain Hayad Dera Harish Shonim. He says, This is how they used to do it. Kshayu Kortin Brit, Hayu Ovrin Bain Bitreha Behima. When they would make a brit, they would cut a brit, they would pass between the halves of the animal. Which means he's not buying. The idea that that Mahari Kara said that the animals were still alive, the animals had to be cut in half. And he directs us to Yirmiyahu Lamadalad. So Yirmiyahu Lamadalad, very worthwhile taking a look at, is a uh, a, a rebuke that Yirmiyahu just before the destruction of Yerushalayim in 586 comes to the people of Yerushalayim and gives them a very strong rebuke for the fact that they have enslaved their fellow Jews and not let them go as the law demands after six years. 
and he references the fact that they made a breed that they would all send their slaves out after six years, and they violated it. And the people who made the breed are called Ha'uvrim Bein Betray Ha'egel, the people who walk between the halves of the calf. In other words, Rabbi Choshor gets from here on something that has been substantiated since then many times over from information that we have from ancient Near Eastern texts, that the way that a covenant was made was often made by taking an animal, cutting it in half, and in sitting in between the two halves of the animal and making the breed. And the subtle message was anybody, but the, the, the clear message to everybody, although subtle, was anybody who violates the terms of this agreement, this is what will happen to him, not to his animals, to him. Shaul does something similar in uh, Shmuel Aleph, Perak Aleph, but there it's, this will happen to his animals, but this means it'll happen to him. Very severe thing. All right, so then he talk, comments also on Meshuleshet. It says, Yesh Mefarshim Shmeina V'chashuva. What's Meshuleshet? Really fat. Kamov Shalishim Al Kulo. And now he goes back to the, uh, to the comment that we saw back in, uh, in the Radak in Yechezka Chafalaf, where he talked about the Cherub Shlishita. He said it could be a very strong one. And he says, just like Shalishim Al Kulo. So the Bechor Shor says, what's Ez Meshulashet? It could be very fat. Um, and then he invokes this. So we now have essentially our three comments, but now the third has been tied into a fourth that was out there. One comment, of course, is three. Rashi, Mahari, Kara took that. One of them is a, the third one uh, that was born, right? a, a, a third in the order. And that's the Radak, that we have the, uh, the idea that it is a three-year-old one, which is the Ibn Ezra. And then here, the Bechor the, uh, um takes the first opinion, which is that it's the, the, uh, the strongest one, but not the strongest one because it's the third of the litter, but rather the strongest one because Shalishim al-Kulo, which is effectively really a fourth approach. Well, Shona Talmud, Igla Tilta. And you're wondering how I got to the Sefer Ruch. Here's how I got there. Because he connects it with Iglatilta, which is, as we saw, a fat cow. And remember what the Aruch said, because it's the third one of the, of the, of the litter, and therefore it's the strongest. And then he gives a nod to Rashi and uh, his, his Rebbe's Rebbe. And, uh, and Mahari Kara saying, yeah, some people think it's three. He doesn't seem to prefer that position. Okay, let's go now, jump 100 years ahead to the Ramban, uh, 13th century, uh, 12th century, uh, uh, 13th century Spain. So the Ramban will almost always start by quoting Rashi, and with great respect, even if he disagrees, and then I'll quote the Ibn Ezra, and not necessarily with great respect, but disagree. Piresh Rabbi Avraham bat shanim. Right? He says that it means three years old. Unklu said it's actually uh, three of them. Right? He says, Now, the Ramban takes on the Ibn Ezra, and he really takes on a lot of them, Farshim here, who said that Mishuleshet means something about it being strong. Right? And that it's three years old, and because by that time it's already strong. So the Ramban 
takes a page out of the Mishnah Masachet Parah. Kmo Shaninu, at the very beginning of Masachet Parah, says, Hamorim Eglah Batshtayim Parah Batshalosh. That they define that when the Torah talks about, for instance, a Parah Adumah, that means it has to be three years old. Because once a bovine is hit three years old, it's not an Eglah anymore, it's a Parah. So the first two years, it's called an Eglah. Just like a Kevas is only till 12 months, and an Ayol is from 13 months to 24 months, etc., so the same thing, it can't be an Eglah, can't be Meshulash at three years old, because it's not called an Eglah anymore. So the Ramban takes a page from where Rashi was going, but goes in a different direction. He says, why three? Because he says there were three of them. Three of them because it's hinting that there's going to be three different kind of Korbanot brought from here. There'll be an Olah, you can bring an Olah from a goat, a chatat is a female goat, and shlamim can be a goat. You can't bring a, a, a an asham from a goat. So he takes a slightly different direction. He says, asham and chatat are two versions of the same thing, and therefore there's really only three animal korbanot, chatat slash asham, ola and shlamim, and it's hinting that there's going to be three different korbanot brought from this, and that's why there's three of them. Now, you could have said that there were one of them because the total mammals is three. That would have worked. So he says, He says, so why is it Mishulashet? And the Ramban here is bothered by what we've all been bothered through, uh, uh, about throughout the whole Shi'ur, which is why are you calling three animals Mishulashet? You should have said, Shalosh Izim. He says, perhaps it's be because Shiaviotan Ritzufot. Bring them one after the other immediately. Meaning three goats on one side, three um, calves on one side. He goes to the Pasuk in meaning that they were on stack on, on top of each other. So, in the same way, bring the three goats over there, the three calves over there, the three rams over there as a threesome. Possibility. We could have t- taken the Ramban and the hint that he mentioned and turned it into. Ez Meshulashet, Ayol Meshulashet, Ayol Meshulash, and Eglam Meshulashet, and had it be that you're going to bring all three of them together as a unit, and they each represent one-third of the unit, and that's the three Korbanot, other ways to go, but that's the way he went. The very last commentator I want to look at and want to jump ahead of the 19th century is Shadal, Shmuel David Lutzato. I want to share Shadal because, uh, because of something interesting that's happening in the 19th century, and we already saw a little piece of it in the 12th century with the Bechor Shor. But we see it in, in so we say, a more uh, explicit way here. Ashwal David Lutzato, uh, as his name indicates, and was a descendant of the Ramchal, lived in Italy. And Italy in the 19th century enjoyed, the Jews in Italy enjoyed the opportunity to, um, to participate in university life, in scholarship, were part of the Enlightenment, without having to sacrifice their orthodoxy. And there were quite a few Orthodox Jews who not only studied university but, uh, but became prominent uh, professors. And perhaps most famously, Rabbi Moshe David Kusuto, uh, who later made Aliyah, this is in the 20th century, and became the head of the Bible department at the Hebrew University almost from, from its inception. The reason that's significant is because um, these scholars were exposed to a whole range of literature that their forebearers might not have had access to or the vehicle for getting to, 
which they utilized in order to enhance their understanding of Torah. I won't go further with Shadal right now. Uh, Shadal is also somebody who's enjoying a, 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 a renaissance and uh, a revival a little bit. And uh, his works have been translated and commented on and beautiful stuff. In any case, Shadal says as follows, Eglamishuleshet. Tat Unklus Rashi, and he does this quite often, is to kind of line up all the different approaches. Tat Unklus Rashi Shalosh Agalot. He quotes Unklus Rashi says the three Agalot, right? And then in parentheses it says, just like we saw in Kohelet, the three ply cord, right? Because it's three of them. It's not a, 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 a third, but the three of them. Met but he rejects that. He said the two aren't alike. Why? Chuta Mishulash is not three chords. It's a three-ply chord, meaning a chord made of three. He said three goats don't make a three-way goat. Right? A three-ply goat. And his point is that, of course, with the chords, you tie one on top of the other to create a stronger chord. With the goats, you're not, they're not becoming one stronger goat. But, so he seems to reject that approach. V'dat targum Yerushalmi, v'acharav, uh, Bussart, uh, Clericus, and Rosenmiller, he quotes some of the uh, scholars that he's familiar with, which is pretty much what the Ibn Ezra said. He said three years old. And remember the Ramban rejected that. Right, which means what I think, in other words, he's presented two approaches, uh, three goats, a three-year-old goat. He said, but what I think is, he quotes the Sefer Shorashim that we saw, third of the litter. We already saw that. And he tells us the Aruch says that it's the third. The third is the best. We already saw that in the Aruch. Right? That they, again, they would feed somebody an igla telta, very important thing, perush rach vatov, a soft and really good, kmo egel slishi labetan. Okay, v'chayotze bazeh, eglach slishiyan, he quotes our pasuk in Yishayahu, shmenat, a fat one. Now, what's the purpose of all of this? Kolzeh haya lasot imo, kemashayu b'nei adam regilim lasot b'chritat brit. Now, we already saw in the 12th century the Bechor Shor say the same thing. And so what the Shadal says here, and the Shadal may not have been familiar with the Bechor Shor, not, I don't know, uh, is, um, is that uh, what God was doing here with Avram was to do the way people normally make a covenant, and that was, Plutarch, and he quotes Plutarch from the Roman questions where he posed questions about why they do things a certain way, and you could see the quote there in Latin, is they would take a dog and they would cut it in two parts and they would sit in the middle. In other words, the idea is this is an ancient custom, we don't do it with a dog, there's an ancient custom to take an animal, cut it in half, and make a breed in between the two halves. All right, And so therefore, um, but I just want to comment on both the Bechor Shor and Shadal's comment about this, because there's something very powerful here. It's saying that the way that Hashem interacts with Avraham is based on the norms of Avraham's society and, uh, and making a breed in the, using the terms and using the context and content that it was used in the ancient Near East at the time. This is how a breed is made. Today it might have been 
a contract that you have to sign 47,000 times and go not to get notarized. The last comment he makes is, something that none of us can ignore and everybody agrees is that the types that are here are significant because they're the only types that can be brought on the Mizbeach and, uh, and that's it. Now what we've seen over the course of the last 48 minutes is we went through two different issues. The first one was that in response to Avram's trust in God, God says, I am Hashem who took you out of um, Ur-Kastim to give you the land and we notice, first of all, that Ur Kastim could have two different meanings, and there seems to be seems to be a double entendre, and it leads to the famous midrash about the furnace. We then notice that the purpose of taking Avram out was in order to give him the land, and we saw that this parallels the opening speech of the Aserta Dibrot, which really encompasses the first traditionally divided five Dibrot. And we took a look at Rabbi Nun's uh, presentation of the Aserta Dibrot and the way that he felt they should be seen. Uh, we then looked at the, skipping the pasuk, we looked at pasuk uh, Chet, uh, where Hashem then tells Avram to take an Ez Meshuleshen. We spent most of the time on the word Meshuleshen. We saw three different possible meanings with a possible fourth. We saw the Targum, followed by Rashi and Mari Kara, that says Meshuleshen means uh, there were three of them. We saw the difficulties of that. Um, and Shadal really kind of attacked it by pointing out that that's not called Meshuleshen. Uh, we then saw the Ibn Ezra, three years old. We saw the Radak elsewhere, and then in Shorashim, indicating that it was the third of the litter that was the strongest. We saw arguments in favor of each side. And then the last thing was that we saw both the Bechor Shor in the 12th century and Shadal in the 19th century pointing out that the event that was going to take place, that we'll take a look at, at in greater detail next week, uh, was essentially patterned after the style of making Britot in the ancient world, and um, and Shadal had access again to material that the Bukhar Shor likely did not have access to and was able to cite ancient Roman literature to support that that was a common style in the ancient world. All right, in Mirz Hashem next week, we will uh, continue from this point on. We'll actually see the Brit get cooking. And in two weeks from now, we'll see the terms of the Brit itself. In the meantime, we should have a great Shabbat, a wonderful Shabbat, a Shabbat Shalom, and hopefully Mirz Hashem soon we should be able to gather again in person in our beautiful Shul Young Israel of Century City and study Tanakh together.